Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, episode 10 of our second season. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. And I'm Paula Page. And this show is a dedicated preview of the upcoming Midlands Derby as we take on Aston Villa away at Villa Park on Saturday. It's going to be a 9 a.m. kickoff for those of us like Paul and I in Central Time Zone. Those of you on the East, it's going to be 10 a.m. So we're going to start out and get to talking with the opposition. So we're going to welcome back Paul Maddy. He's a part of the Space City Lions supporters group here in Houston. How's it going, Matty? Hey, it's going well. Um, glad to hear an American say Derby properly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, been, there's been some regular coaching as far as pronunciation goes, that's for sure. Well, no, the funny thing is I, I got called out last year because I was saying Aston instead of Villa when I was just saying it by one. So I was informed it is Villa, not at just Aston, so yeah, just to be I'm, safe, I would say Aston Villa. My boss said Aston, the, uh, my new boss, we just switch bosses, and it's just, ugh, that is grating, that's like chalk on a board, that's worse than Derby. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, Paul brought up, it's because, like, for Americans, for instance, San Francisco 49ers, we can get away with just saying, like, San Francisco, and so, naturally... Americans like me would just say Aston and think it's okay. So it, it's cool. That's one of the good things about this podcast, educating uh, the U.S. listeners on some of the little intricacies that you guys have over over the pond. Did you know the history between Aston Villa and Birmingham City? There was um, when they founded the two teams, both both teams came up with a gentleman's agreement that they weren't going to use the the city name Birmingham in the, the title for their for the, the, the respective names. So uh-huh. we became Aston Villa and, Aston, and Birmingham City were small Heath and they went back on their gentleman's agreement. <laughs> That's all you need to know about Birmingham City fans. <laughs> Hence Villa fans, all, when we've been a little derogatory, we'll call them small Heath. Now, I know this wasn't on the list that we sent you, but do you know anything of the history behind the nickname The Villains? Because to me, that's like probably one of the coolest nicknames in sports i I, I, I think it i don't think it's very imaginative i think it's a villa with an ns on the end <laughs> i haven't heard anything <laughs> other than that there's uh it's it's interesting the two the the guys who own villa have um have apparently already copyrighted the las vegas villains they're hoping to get that mls franchise but they've spelt it with they've put for the las vegas they put the i in it so Interesting. <laughs> hmm. Very interesting. Okay, so let's kick into it here. The narrative around Harry Kane at the end of the season, but there was a lot of attention on the departure from uh, Villa. How have you guys fared without old Jack Grealish? Compared to Tottenham, I watched uh, England play yesterday, and Harry Kane just looks like the shell of a player now. It's really... Yeah, watching England last night, Ollie Watkins did more in three minutes than Harry Kane did in the other 87. I, I think Grealish is one of the, I mean, he's probably the best player I've seen, even better than Gordon Cowan's in my time at Villa. You move on with it and we look a lot better balanced team now. We do look a better team. What does that mean coming into Saturday's game then, Paul, by way of likely shape and the starters that the Wolves are going to face? That, that is a big question. I couldn't even tell you if we're going to play three at the back or four at the back. It's, um, we've had gr- we had great games and we deservedly beat Man United. We destroyed Everton. We've, we've just been everything, really. So it's very hard to predict. And we've also... 
We've obviously had our big money signings in terms of bringing in Buendia and Bailey, Leon Bailey. And for various reasons, they haven't been fit or they've been on international duty and having to having to quarantine in Croatia and stuff like that. So it really is. It's hard to... I wouldn't bet much money on who's going to start, I'm afraid. I'm, I thought they'd switch to a back four. I thought I think they took a back three for pragmatic purposes when they were away at Tottenham and away at Man United. It worked spectacularly at Man United, but it didn't work at Tottenham and Son ran us ragged. I wouldn't be surprised if we went back to a back four, but I wouldn't be surprised if we stuck with our back three. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to set on the fender. I mean, it's really hard to know what, what Villa's going to turn up. Yeah, it's okay. We're the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so who are your informed players or the guys that Wolves fans need to be watching out for? The, the one player, the one. hopefully he's fit enough. I don't think he'll start, but Leon Bailey, every time he's come on, he is. He changed the game at Watford. He won the game against Everton. Absolutely electric when he comes on. And he's got, unlike Traore, he's got, he's got the end product as well. You hey, know. hey, he's hey, there is no... He's, no Adama slander allowed. <laughs> I could have been talking about our Triori, but yeah. uh, no, our, our Triori's got end product breeze all over the place. I'm pretty sure he'll be injured, so you won't have to fear you won't have to fear our Triori. <laughs> so Leon Bailey, how about Ollie yeah. Watkins? That's the interesting thing. We, you look at it, and the Watkins and Ings partnership hasn't quite hit it off yet. They don't look like they're quite on the same page. Unfortunately, all the chances that have fallen this season seem to have mainly fallen to Watkins, and you're hoping that they fall to Ings, because, you know, Ings is one of the best strikers there is. So it went once he's, you know, once he's got the ball at his feet in front of a goal, you you put money on him scoring. He's got such a high conversion rate. Watkins is still still learning his trade. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We've been with, with the back three, we've got two wing backs who can whip the ball in, but it just hasn't hasn't always been falling to those guys, but hey, perhaps they're due a game. I don't know. Finally, Paul, what do you think it's going to be like atmosphere-wise on Saturdays? There are buzz amongst the online fan base and your friends and family back in back in England who are Villa fans. I, I think Villa are really nice to watch at the moment. There was a lot of time, you know, for the second half of last season, it was a hard watch watching Villa, but right now it looks like we can troll the midfield a little bit better now. And it's, yeah, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of unpredictability. There's nothing better in sport when you you hope you, you can see that your team can turn up and do something, but very hard to judge. The other thing to look at is it, we've been blooding a lot of youngsters this year. I think Carney Chukwemeka, he's going to be one for the future. I think he's going to be injured. We've been playing a lot of Jacob Ramsey as well. He looks like a driving player as well. So it, 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 it probably will, certainly from a forward standpoint, will look a lot different to the team that you saw last year. I think last year we got a bit lucky with certainly the away game, with the late penalty and all that. But yeah, hopefully a good game. Hopefully there'll be a few goals this time. There've been a few. There've been a few dour, dour results recently. We were both teams trying to really cut each other out. So hopefully there'll be a bit more attacking play. We broke the Newcastle one-one curse that we've had for a while. So <laughs> feel good about a, a little more scoring in this how, game this weekend. How are you guys looking? Ah, uh, it depends. 
<laughs> Same as us, a bit of a curate seg, depending which day it is. It's yeah. interesting with Wolves just because the new manager is still getting his system implemented. And you mentioned the whole back three, back four conundrum. We have something similar. We keep waiting for this fabled back four that Lodge ran and it hasn't happened yet, but it feels like it's going to. Yeah, that's how I feel. I, I really do. Yeah, Villa at home, I wouldn't be. And Hall's had a bad game last. I wouldn't be surprised if we switched to a back four just to get another attacking player on, basically. But, but hey, I, I really can't predict it. The other wild card is we signed, Buendia was our record signing, and he really hasn't, he scored one goal, but he hasn't really done anything of any note yet. So, I mean, they're, they're really trying to find a way to fit him into our system. So, I, 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 I could see changes. It's, it's, it's very hard to predict. So before we begin our preview, Paul, uh, do you want to talk a new listener through the Wolves-Villa rivalry if they're learning about it for the first time? Yeah, sure, Josh. So it's still a local derby because the Midlands, where Wolves are based, obviously a a hotbed of football. You've got Villa, Birmingham, West Brom, Warsaw even, all in a very short space in distance. So all those professional teams kicking around I think it's 10 or 12 miles between Molyneux and Villa Park so completely alien to some of the local derbies that you expect in America but given that we've got West Brom closer that's always been the big one for the Wolves and obviously Villa have had their rival with Birmingham like Paul talked about but when I was growing up, it was always Villa who were the really only the, the top flight team. This is late 80s into the 90s. That time, the Wolves, Albion, Blues, they were always kicking about in the second or third tier and bouncing up and down between them. So we'd play Albion and Blues a fair amount. The Villa had been the Prem pretty much all by themselves. They'd always finished comfortably mid-table and maybe get a win a cup or get a cup run and end up in Europe. I remember going to to Villa Park when I was 10 or 11 with my soccer team and they they were playing into Milan in the, I can't remember what round it was, in the old UEFA Cup. So they had some good European nights even in those ages. But I think it's from that point onwards you had, it, it turned into 
both Albion, late 90s, early 2000s, both Albion and Birmingham City kind of yo-yoing between the Prem and then the, the league underneath it. We were the Wolves, we were always stuck in limbo in the, the, the championship and we had one one promotion in there we, under Dave Jones through the playoffs, but that was it. So we were never really coming up against Villa a great deal, really, until the Fosun takeover. So Fosun took over, Villa were very much on the um, downturn then. They were feeling the effects of Randy Lerner, so his ownership and what really he ran him into the ground effectively. So it was the Villa coming down that actually stoked the fires a little more between our rivalry because we were on the up and it was having the bragging rights over the Villa who were on, on, on the downward path. So it was really us going back up and then Villa languished in the championship for a couple of seasons afterwards. And then now they've come back up and obviously different ownership. They've had money to spend. It's been very much like comparing the two clubs. Who's the, who's the bigger? Who's the bigger historically? Who's the bigger now? So that's what's really stoked the flames with this one. And same goes in our example. The Wolves haven't had a regular derby games with, with the Albion during that time a lot because the Albion were in the Prem, we were underneath, and it was only the last year that we, we, we played them for the first time in how many years. So that's where the dynamic comes to it in terms of local rivalry. And I suppose where I, I grew up midway between more Wolverhampton side, but still in touch and distance to where West Brom are based. So my school growing up, that was 50-50 Wolves and West Brom. And you never really had many Villa fans because obviously the like, regional ties were more to where they're based. It's only when you grow up and maybe you travelled into Birmingham to work or you went to university there, you'd get the rivalry amongst the workplaces and your colleagues. So that's where you get some of the regional elements factor into it. And you could get support within an office building of Wolves fans, Albion, Villa, Blues, all all intermingling that way. It's quite a neat, interesting dynamic when it comes to Midlands football, that's for sure. So would you consider if all of the English teams were to play each other, they were all in the same division, would you consider Villa one of Wolves' top three rivals? Yeah, I still would, but based on based on the local element and the the times that we've played them against certainly more recently it's definitely had some spice to it because we've had we've been more that level of opponent so yeah i'd still i think out of every team i think you'd still have that rivalry with the walls that it comes down to to localism first the only other one would be potentially would be bolton wanderers who are northwest england that oh that there's some nightmares from clashes against bolton Lose, losing in the playoffs. You can look up the infamous John McGinley punch on David Kelly when he should have got sent off and they ended up going up. So Bolton holds a lot of negativity and a lot of spite towards many Wolves fans based on that. I'd say that would be the genuine next one underneath the local element when it comes to a, a hated rival, that's for sure. Who do you think views this as a bigger rivalry, Wolves fans or Villa fans? 
We probably do, I think. Just because of the fact that they've been in the Premier League long or more often? They've always had that kind of not holier-than-thou attitude, but having that status, an established premiership team, and really they'd, they'd never shown any signs of relegation up until the, the previous season's past. So they're, they're, all, they're always mid-table. They, they, they may have a cup run, they may win a cup, and they always had that kind of edge over everyone else. And bigger ground could attract better players and, and things like that. So it's only been these recent years when it's adjusted somewhat. And I think... That's where more rivalries come from recently because it's been a genuine competition about who's a better team, what, which is the which is the best club locally. Have those local bragging rights. Okay. Well, let's talk about Saturday's game here. Looks like we're going to have no Trin Cal. He's got COVID nineteen, so it's going to be interesting to see the lineup. And the reason I say that is because with the international window going on, guys are playing three games in the international window instead of two. So you really have to consider fatigue. Um, I think that's especially important when you look at Raul because he's in Mexico. And he was already one that after international breaks, he usually does not have a good first game, and that was just with two. So you got him coming back from Mexico. Motinho and Neves have both been getting in for Portugal. Huang some for, or I don't know, has he been starting for South Korea? I definitely saw one that he got an assist in, but I'm not sure what their schedule was, whether it was just the one game or a few, two or three over an extended period. I don't think so, but it's always miles for him as well. So I think... There's going to be some interesting choices made. I would like to see Bruno not do what Nuno used to do and just throw everybody out there. There was no international break. I'd like to see Jimenez get a break. I'd like to see Motinho get a break. And I think that's doable with the roster right now. What are you thinking? Yeah, we've got some flexibility for sure, which is good. And... I'm I'm to that point that it will be interesting to see what his take is when it comes to balancing the squad and the the miles that those players have been on during international break. To somewhat of an extent, it'd be refreshing if, and I think everyone would be understandable, especially with Raul, if he's he's still not playing till tomorrow morning. I don't think in in UK time. Yeah, yeah, to, it's late tonight. Yeah, here late for, tonight. for the US. So you're looking at best case scenario. He's getting on a plane to England tomorrow afternoon in U.S. time or in in this side of the world. So you're talking Thursday night, U.K. time he's getting on. He's probably then getting in Friday afternoon, right? Friday morning. Yeah, effectively. Yeah, that's a lot of jet lag to get over in... A day or less. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be fine with him off the bench if Wang's capable. Mm-hmm. I think it's a tricky one with this formation now and the players, but I'd be fine with actually if it's Wang as the nine, like he showed against Tottenham at home in the cup. But again, he's he, we got air miles to to watch for him, and the the only other one would be uh, would be Fabio as a, as a genuine attacker and. He's had minutes this past week as well. He's done pretty well for the Portuguese under-21s. But it is going to be an interesting dynamic to, to see what happens. And 
that's what was interesting me and and I was contemplating that the shape that we're going to play I, I am genuinely worried even though Paul from Villa said that they haven't hit it off I am genuinely worried by a duo of Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings though the the mobility that they pose yeah, yeah which we, we obviously Brentford have highlighted that this season already so that has me worried and and up until really finding out about Trincao being grounded with COVID I was thinking I, I can't see it happening I generally can't but I'd have been more inclined just to go four at the back go attacking mm-hmm. I'd rather lose four three than go three at the back and still get run ragged by their two forwards um because I think that the, the shape that we're left with, it still makes us liable in the midfield as well. I'd be worried about getting overrun if it's just the two bodies in there, regardless of the combo between Donk, Moutinho and Neves. I've got to, I've got to worry about the centre of the park on Saturday. Do you think now is the time to go with, if you're doing the back three, to replace Saiz with Bali? So that way we see Kilman, Bali, Cody. Do you think now's the time to do it? It's potential. I think that there's an excuse that you could dress up a bunch of players coming in and out after this international break and then to see who fares best after it. Yeah, it, 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 you touch upon it perfectly that we were renowned under Nuno that we could still pit the 11 starting <laughs> after an international bait if someone had been around the world twice they'd still get a start so yeah and that be... just that just always blew my mind especially when the stats were right there like Jimenez has a hard time rightfully the dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> a long flight so um yeah it's going to be interesting coming out before kickoff on Saturday to to see that team sheet definitely my ideal one would be keep the back five, probably eight Nori if he's fit at left wing back. I'd like to see Bali instead of Saiz, just because we need to see that at some point. And I think this would be good because of the Brentford results to see if Bali can make a difference. Um, probably Neves and Donk in the midfield. And then, yeah, I'd go with a front three of Potence, Adama, and Huang at nine and just see what happens you'd still have Raul to come and bring on in the 60th minute if things weren't working well with Potence or Adama move Huang out to winger and then move Raul in at the 60th minute so <clears throat> I think that's what I do in fact if Adama doesn't start this game there we need to be asking some questions about what his future is with the club because this is like prime time it's got to be. I think in, in that formation, yeah, he, he's got to start. And it, it could be a game that really suits him. It'll be interesting who he comes up with. If it's on the opposition, he, he, he can, he, he's been known to scare the Villa previously. So I'd be interested to see, to see how they shape up against him. But I, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I'm, I'm thinking really off the wall here. It could be something like he still goes five at the back, but it's two up front and three in the midfield. And I Adama thought that as well. Back, yeah. yeah, I thought that as well with maybe Adama and Huang up front. 
Yeah, possibly. I still, before we got Huang, when we the talk was that four four two. I still thought Raul and Adama might work in a two up front just because they're such different players. And we've seen success with it against Man City a couple of years ago. So I think in Lodge's system, Adama could still play inside. I yeah, again that that fabled four with Benfica. Is there a role? for Adama as that link player between the midfield and the out-and-out forward. But still, I think that's probably way too attacking for Saturday because that means playing two genuine wide midfield in the foreign midfield. And with Trincar out, I don't think we've got the flexibility to really do that. So yeah, I'd I probably veer on the side of caution, be more compact and, and maybe see you two up top and uh, Troy being one of those. Um, and yeah could dovetail and, and, and pull them around a little bit, but it still needs a really midfielder to bomb on and, and get on the end of stuff, whether that, that's Donk and he starts hitting the target, who knows? Yeah. You mentioned Fabio briefly, and I wanted to bring this up. It seems like Lodge is not the biggest Fabio fan. From what I've read, he keeps talking about, I think his future's at striker, but he really needs to improve. I don't know if this is just him trying to motivate Fabio or if Fabio's in danger of getting loaned out for a short-term loan in January. It's an interesting dynamic for sure. It's a huge gamble probably on the kid's career that at 35 million pound or whatever it was to have a loan relatively early into that tenure Mm -hmm. could be boom or bust. I think it would certainly do him him some value to be playing week in, week out. I would probably think that if it was to happen, they would look to place him in a top flight team of a European league just so the spotlight was off him a little more but I just think that they've got too much riding on him and that investment I think to really chance alone I think they're going to play the narrative that oh when we sign these players if they've got the the potential we want him in and around the match day squad in order for them to to learn and develop under our tutelage rather than send him away at 20 and He's, he might not continue the trajectory that they expect him to be on. So I I, would it help? Yeah. Can I see it? Not really. Yeah, I just don't see where he's going to get minutes with yeah. the way Huang yeah. and Raul have been playing the last few games. Like, it's a, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. So they're obviously it, not... They're not going to sell them because there's no way they'd make that money back. No, his highlight reel from the international break was awesome. But then you've got to <laughs> He's realize... He's going against the younger competition. Yeah. That's, that's the level we're still thinking. We still look at Fabio in 35 million. We forget that he's 19-20, still a young pup, playing for Portugal under 21s and, and looking like a superstar because yeah. that effectively that's the level it is at. Whereas we're expecting a... a, a fully encompassing Premier League starting striker and he's not there yet for sure so what's your prediction for the game oh I don't know I really I'm worried I'm a little nervous about it I think it could we could well be attacking I'd be really happy away with the point so I'm gonna go Shall I, I, I was tempted to go really crazy with a 3-3, but I think I'll <laughs> just tone it down a little. 
based on not scoring two very often, but I'll go with a 2-2 two, two draw. 2-2 two, two draw. Yeah, I was thinking 1-1 one, one draw, but I'm just, I'm very concerned about fatigue Yeah, uh, being an issue after the international break. So I'm actually going to say 2-1 Villa. I hope I'm wrong, but I think um, I think Villa might be able to pull it out there at the end. So we'll, we'll see. stupid questions this week paul we do remember no stupid questions it is that part of the show where you get to ask anything you want in a completely judgment-free zone when it comes to the wolves so be it current players team history match day experience anything you like you can send it through to us on the socials which is facebook or twitter you can email them to hello at whole lot of walls.com and if you're listening to us on spotify you can also ask us through the spotify app mm-hmm. after each uh, episode as well so some nice new features on the spotify platform one of our listeners to send in a no stupid question this week is wayne mckee he asked do you find international football utterly boring and are there far too many international breaks so I'll start off. Oh, what am I drinking out of, Paul? It's a USA koozie. It's my Team USA koozie. So this is an interesting question because I, I think there's going to be two different views. As an American, I became a soccer fan because of Team USA, especially when the World Cup. That's general public-wise, that's the only time Americans in the past have gotten excited about soccer. The one that was in the U.S. was helpful. The one in South Africa, where they pulled out at the end, was really big for the country. But I love watching international soccer. The friendlies, no, I could give or take those. But like tonight... The Costa Rica U.S. game that was on, we went out to eat somewhere tonight, and you better believe I got up and was cheering when Timothy Weah blasted the strike to put us ahead. So for me, and I would venture to say a lot of Americans, if the games mean something, and by that being Gold Cup, uh, Nations League, or World Cup qualifying, it's a big deal for us out here, especially since the U.S. squad actually has talent right now. I think for a European perspective and and an English fan's perspective, it's similar, but our international schedule has become so diluted that they've turned friendlies into the Nations League, which is an improvement, but then you still have international friendlies. 
We've got World Cup qualifying going on, which we come up against these teams like Saturday versus Andorra. It completely bypassed me. I had no <laughs> real interest in it just because it's Andorra. I'd really struggle to put a pin in the map to find where the bloody country is, let alone name a player that starts for them. And it's that caliber of team that I think is it has has diluted the international experience. International football should be the creme de la creme of players from those teams play, playing against others of a similar status. If that was done, if the schedule was shifted to reflect that, I, I would look forward to it a, a whole ton more than I do now. I'm sure there's scope that you've still got some capability for a World Cup or for a European Championship to be structured in a different way that those smaller nations still have a path to get to a finals but it shouldn't be against coming up against teams that are in the top 10 or 20 of the, the FIFA rankings or have a uh, I don't know like a, a development league of teams that are under a certain ranking that they get two places from Europe, two places from North America, whatever that so there's still an avenue to get to a World Cup that they may never have if it was still the traditional European qualification arrangement. Andorra aren't ever going to a, a World mm. Cup or a European Championship. It just makes no sense. So I think that's what that's what's diluted it for for me certainly and, and, and a lot of England fans. But then yeah, roll a, roll around a, a major tournament and it, it, there's a ton of buzz around it for sure. So I think part of it is qualifying for UEFA's spots for the World Cup. The way it's set up, you can pretty much as soon as the groups are drawn, pick out the the yeah. teams that are going to go through. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, very much so. I think that's what's different. For U.S. fans, even though it's so frustrating for us to lose, like to Panama, one nothing, but Concacaf is more competitive, so the games are a little more exciting. Like Costa Rica tonight, two one. It was a really good game, and I feel like just with the way Europe's set up, I always look back at it. Back in the day, I would play the FIFA World Cup edition, and I'd never pick an, a Europe squad to play because qualifying was too easy. <laughs> yeah. I'd always like to go with Ivory Coast or the U.S. or somewhere, somewhere where qualifying was a little more difficult and more of a challenge. I mean, basically, you had two games you had to win, and then you're in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, it, it's similar. We've, as England, I don't think we've ever had a, a genuine threat of not qualifying for a good 10, 15 years now. And it's the same each time. It's got to be a genuine surprise that you get a, a, a European heavyweight bottom out like in Italy or a Spain. There's really something up when that happens, that they're in a, a severe state that often, you know, they, they defy the coach and, and they start it all up again and it's a rebuilding job. That rarely happens amongst Germany, England, Italy, Spain. Portugal even, you, you can pretty much see those groups being drawn and, and pick the winner without uh, too much difficulty. And I do think Wolves fans would be a little more excited about the international break if, like, 
Raul Jimenez if he was English instead of Mexican. I think, I, I really think that plays a big part in it. I've been banging the drum that if Wolves really want to be an impact out here in the States, they need to get one of the guys that's known in international circles. And that's why Wolves are so popular in Mexico, because yeah. Raul Jimenez is so good for the national team. We're not yeah. going to get, we're not going to get fans in, in, in England's time zone, getting up at three o'clock exactly. in the morning or whatever it is to watch. Whereas, yeah, they're, to they're watch in, a Mexico, uh, yeah. Jamaica game, they yeah, South Korea for Wang, mm-hmm. same goes. Yet, when it's the Portuguese players and it's on the same time zone, it's a good opponent, then it's something that you tune in for and watch and get some enjoyment out of it. So, that certainly puts a different spin on it for sure. By the way, I was watching Team USA again tonight. I would donate one of my kidneys to get Weston McKinney on Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> Even yes. though he's a knucklehead sometimes with his uh, off-the-field decision-making. My goodness. Yeah, it seems a uh, the the profile of a midfielder that, that we're crying out for. And we it, it seems like there's no smoke without fire that he could be available at some point. And... Yeah, I just I want would. one of those nasty guys in the middle. Yeah. One of those guys that you just like, you hate him unless he's on your team. And I really yeah. feel like Weston's one of those guys where he's he's going to get under your skin. And he, he's going to be one of those guys. But he plays really hard. You just have to keep him from smuggling in the ladies with COVID protocol. <laughs> <laughs> that puts a wrap on this week's show. Please continue to do what you can in terms of liking, subscribing, and reviewing a whole lot of Wolves on the podcast platform. You find yourself listening to us on. We'll be back next week to review Saturday's game and then preview another tricky away trip to Ellen Road to face Leeds. So, until then, shit on the villa and (laughs) up the Wolves.